This is Splice. Good morning. Hey, Karen. Hey, Khalil. Hello. Hi. Can you hear me? There you are, man. Yeah. Perfect. Uh, How's it going? I'm going all right. Uh, just <laughs> trying to find a room where there aren't any cats so I don't get distracted. That's are you surrounded right. by cats? cats? Can be... Oh, <laughs> exactly. yeah, that's uh, thanks to my siblings, I've got like what 12 cats in the house at the moment. No way, <laughs> yes, you cannot be serious. 12 cats, yes, 12 <laughs> literally, right? Not yes, figuratively, no, 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 incredible, they, man. They, they, they stare at corners and we wonder if there are ghosts in the house or something. I don't know. <laughs> that's that's one of my favorite things about cats, actually. They're complete freaks. It's, I don't know, man. It's like they just hang around, just look, sit in corners and look at things. I'm like, what are you looking at? And they're like, oh, I don't know. Something. Yeah. All right, Rashad, shall we? Let's do it. We're, we're recording all looking good. All right. Welcome, everybody, to Splice Lo-Fi, July 29, 2021. Jul no, it's not. Let's try that again. Welcome, everybody, to Splice Lo-Fi. It's July 30th, 2021. Uh, this is our weekly live audio check-in with the Splice community to see what's up. And this, in fact, is the 15th time we're doing this. How amazing is that? So we're recording this, and we'd love for you to speak openly here. But if you want to be taken off the record, let us know, and we'll edit you out in post. Otherwise, this is going out on the interwebs as it is right after this recording. Put yourself on mute if you're not speaking, but remember to unmute when you do speak, because Alan and I do that all the time. And remember, this is a conversation. We'd love to hear your questions. If you're, you know, for whatever reason, embarrassed about, you know, asking questions, um, feel free to put them in the Telegram chat and we can ask them for you. Whatever works, it's all good. Um, and also, let me just remind you that Lo-Fi is also a podcast. So it's, if it's easier for you to listen to that, uh, that's also fine. If you happen to miss this live, live session, look up Splice Lo-Fi on your favorite podcast app, unless, of course, it's Apple Podcasts, which for some reason still hasn't added us. Apple Podcasts is a very funny beast. I'm not quite sure how it works but it seems to be like a primary index now of all these uh podcasts in the industry so we're, we're going to get that one right uh i just resubmitted this uh this morning so let's see if if they can get that approved uh all right so we're very happy to have khalil majid of fact check lab here uh this morning uh khalil is based in kl fact check lab is a service that basically provides fact-checking uh, to combat misinformation uh, uh, in Malaysia. And you're, you're only focused on Malaysia, right? Is that correct, Khalil? Well, uh, hi, everyone. Yeah, I mean, at the moment, our focus is Malaysia, but we've been finding a lot of sort of uh, parallels being drawn with stuff being found in Singapore as well. So we're inadvertently sort of covering content in Singapore as well. So, but the main focus is uh, primarily in Malaysia at the moment here. So Khalil, you've been doing this in in journalism for for a while. I mean, you've spent uh, a lot of time in, on on the TV and video side of things, and then about a year ago, uh, started Fact Check. Um, how did that journey go for you? How what what made you decide to go start up something on your own? I think it's a it's an interesting bit because it wasn't necessarily uh, it, it was sort of a a push from 
from TC to be fair. And TC, for the record, is my co-founder on uh, with, uh, on Fact Check Lab. And uh, like, if he sort of brought up the idea of like, hey, let's let's do, you know, I have this idea about um, fact checking in Malaysia because it's an it's an interesting space, and and he wanted me to come on and sort of uh, you know help him because he, believe it or not, I used to uh, be an intern for TC at Al Jazeera English, uh, and uh, from there on, it just sort of blew out. You know, we, we started working on it. We started doing a lot of research on it. And we actually started in, I think it was late 2019 uh, the, the, we started talking about it. And uh, it, it sort of grew up from there. Like uh, we just built it up as much as we could, uh, talk to people that we knew, sort of learned sort of the ropes, uh, started talking to professionals, uh, you know, getting views, uh, getting trained by experts. You know, we even jumped in on a few conferences and sort of, learned what we could and and from there on like we sort of built it uh, it was it was an interesting journey at the end of the day i think it wasn't it wasn't easy and it still isn't and it's still um we're still learning every day and i think that's sort of been the philosophy within fact check lab from the very beginning it's been like you know let's let's learn let's fail let's keep going and you know and as we've been doing it we've been seeing uh, you know small we've been taking small steps to in the right direction i think that's awesome, man. Um, you know, I just wanted to uh, pick on TC. TC Chan, the other co-founder of Fact Check Lab, is here, and I promised him I would, I would, I would pick on him. TC, why did you? What did you see in this intern? Hi, Richard. Oh well, um, what did I see in this intern? Well, <laughs> that was uh, he was an intern uh, quite some time ago, I think. To be fair, um, I think uh, he's not. I don't. I don't think Khalil is given giving himself enough credit for what. You know he's uh, grown to become since right um at, at the start we i felt that you know uh khalil is a journalist that really believes in the you know uh you know the rigor of getting things right uh you know he's he's not uh, afraid of the hard work and he you know does his due diligence and you know we worked on some projects together and you know i i, I just thought that you know this is a guy uh who you know has a really good runway ahead of him with the right attitude and you know just and subsequently uh, it's not just me right after i left al jazeera um he came on board as a producer for them in his own right so and then he did really well with them so it's not uh just something that uh, a view that i have um so yeah so i i thought at the time uh, i wanted and al jazeera you know there are a lot of non-malaysians there uh but at the time i felt that you know, we have a global problem of misinformation and global problems require local solutions to begin with and scale up from there. And we need locals who are invested in the issue. And uh, Khalil uh, just very naturally, uh, you know, fit that description. And um, and we got together, started talking, and he was very supportive and, and, and very helpful. And, you know, until today, he's a, now he's a big pillar in what we're doing. So Khalil, you you said earlier that uh, you know you've gone through a process of uh, learning uh, what works and what doesn't work. Can you talk about some of the things that you've learned that that don't work uh, in this space? Uh, I think, yeah, things that. Uh, so this is going to be more of sort of an internal thing, right? Um, well, so we we're in a sort of unique position where uh, we. We're invest. We we we're using sort of our investigative skills to sort of uh, and applying it to working on 
the disinformation space. Uh, and, and one thing we've we've heard from a number of people who are who sort of um, you know uh, read all these these, these reports uh, and debunks that, that you know that's what they call them uh, is that sometimes there's not enough enough depth or it's too clinical uh, or it's too um, it's too scientific to a point where it's no longer relatable uh, so there's it lacks sometimes that that sense of storytelling, and that's I think what we try to do with our our stories. We try to simplify terms. We try to simplify content. We we try to give um, meaning to to what people are sort of reading. We give it a bit more uh, depth. Uh, that's why we we always say that you know the way we do our invest uh, our stories is we take an investigative uh, angle to it. We we try to make sure there's a value add that there's uh, that we're not just making things up and just randomly quoting stuff we have sort of serious vetting processes that go into everything even the experts that we talk to uh, there's a lot of stuff that we do and i think one of the main things and the main problems with uh that we're trying to sort of address as well with the content that we push out and uh, i think we've been successful to a certain degree it's um it's the that we we try to you know visualize it in a way that people can sort of relate to it uh, and and at the end of the day we're, we're sort of still testing what works uh, other things that we've done and, and some of our, our and i think it needs to be clear here like you know so fact check lab is a sort of uh is unique in another way because we've all our fact checkers are actually students uh, none we, we don't actually have any of other full-time hires on on at Fact Check Lab, it's all students. It's all all these amazing students from uh, from four universities that we have right now: from Xiamen University, from University of Malaya, which was recent. We're really happy about that. The University of Kabangsa, Malaysia, another local university, and we have one more from Nottingham University in Malaysia. And they've all been trained with from with our partners from Google, from uh, from Sina, and it's been really really cool to watch them sort of grow from the beginning. You know, we we had this thing early on, which was uh, this philosophy between TC and myself, which was, uh, you know, let them fail, let them make the mistakes and we'll, we'll sort of help them through it because we've sort of, you know, the editorial heads of the whole thing. And and they've sort of grown into that position and they're just producing fact check after fact check, anything we throw at them, they're like, yeah, let's let's push out something bet better. And the content's just been great and it's, we've been able to work with it. Uh, so yeah, I mean, it, it's been really nice in that way, but in terms of Sort of failures well other things like you know in, these are all internal like we're, we're learning how to deal with work with our students we were learning how to sort of work with the community uh, sort of what people want to see and uh we've made mistakes i think here and there but uh we're sort of moving forward step by step i think can you talk a little bit about you i'm, I'm intrigued by by your largely student staff i think that's Plenty of good lessons in there for all of us. Um, what kind of tips do you have for for working with with students? Uh, I think uh, it's all about expectations from the beginning. Uh, not to say that you know it was low or whatever, but it's always about managing your expectations because there is. I think you you need to be honest with yourself that you know these are they they, they are students and they sort of need to they don't. They, they might not necessarily they have that sort of 
push to sort of work on the content that you've put them into and they're sort of excited about the the opportunities that you provide and that's another thing or we can touch on but you, you sort of have to have you know you have to temper your expectations and sort of work with them and not against them because uh, they, they're learning uh, and it's not and, and this is important because and I think it's a, and this is, comes from sort of a, a thing I've seen with the way that interns in general get treated in at workplaces. So it's about sort of guiding them in the right direction and helping them sort of learn. And then when they get, when they learn these skills, they, and these are sort of really useful skills, at least with the stuff that we're doing with Fact Check Lab. And, you know, they get to use them in the long term and, uh, you know, apply them for your work. And the better they get it, the better your content becomes. And uh, we try, we we try to give them that opportunity and sort of that uh, guidance every time we work with uh, with the content. That's cool, man. You know, I was just wondering. Um, I'm I'm wondering about the the process. How many? How does it actually work at Fact Check Lab? How many stories do you fact check every day? Um, guide us through the, what it, what your daily workflow looks like. We so we have a thing internally, which is we try to fact check. We don't we don't necessarily fact check uh, every day. We build content and we check what it's worth fact checking. So we have this concept of is it fact checkable? Uh, does it has it achieved the tipping point? Uh, does it uh, come under the scope of what we really feel matters at the moment, or has a sort of value? Has it gone viral and all these other things? So these are sort of metrics we use to to ensure that the, the content we're checking isn't just, you know, we're, we're not just um, sort of fanning a flame and sort of uh, making something that isn't very viral go viral and then causing ourselves another headache. But uh, what we do internally is, so if a fact check, so we we get a report that comes in, for example, like a, a story pops in from, from uh, the public or one of our student fact checkers sends uh, sends us a, a story that they think we should check. We we have them sort of if it comes from the student fact checker, they usually provide a preliminary bit of research, uh, and we use that to sort of um, decide whether or not the story is you know uh, fact checkable or not. This is the reason we do this is in in essence to sort of help them understand you know in the real world you need to pitch your stories. And these stories eventually go up to sort of like the editorial staff and, and they have to sort of, uh, they will eventually decide whether or not your story is worth working on. So it's sort of training them in that skill. If it comes from the public, we sort of take it and do our own uh, preliminary research, to sort of figure out whether or not it's achieved any of our sort of metrics. Like, you know, has it been shared this many times? Has it gone viral? Has it, um, you know, have other have famous people shared it? So once all of this is done, we sort of run through it and then we, hand it uh, what we do is we then hand it out to uh we, we sort of section it out and give it to our students uh depending on how big the story is it, we can we decide you know okay you know this story can be done by one team so let's this let, let's give it to this team at the moment to sort of work with it uh but if it's too big we'll be like okay we need all four teams on this let's see how what you guys can get as a whole we don't really, it, it doesn't really matter if it's sort of overlapping content. It just sort of confirms like, oh, you know, everyone's sort of finding about the same uh, uh, results from their research. And then from there, we sort of break it down. You know, we, we simplify it. We design content around it, sort of videos, tweets, uh, sto Instagram stories, whatever it may be, 
sort of go from there to sort of publish it. Uh, it in between all of that, there's a lot of sort of back and forth between DC and myself, sort of discussing, oh, you know, can we use this? Can we explain this? Does this work? Is, is this adding any value to the story? Is this simply simple enough for people to understand? So it's it, it's not, so it usually give, we usually try to, our goal right now is basically to try to get four stories uh, a month. And last month, uh, we we did about uh, three stories, but we had big ones, so we we took a bit more time on it. So we 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 believe in quality over quantity uh, with our fact checks, uh, and we feel like that's the way forward with it because there's no point sort of pumping out uh, constant fact checks. I think where at the end of the day, no one sort of reads or believes the content that you're sort of pushing out. We can and we sort of back it up in in sort of a more storytelling way, uh, and I feel that is. Uh, people seem to appreciate that more from what we're seeing, and I think we're we're happy to go down that path at the moment. You know, you're talking about working with students, and uh, that's something that we've always, you know, to be honest, we've struggled with at Splice. We want to mm. tap on their their uh, insights um, uh, and 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 enthusiasm, but very often it's hard to codify that knowledge, right? Because students and interns are temporary they come in and they leave so how do you how do you work uh how i'm curious as to how you work with that problem make it a feature not a bug how do you how do you make sure that the the knowledge that uh, and the workflow isn't tribal knowledge that it's actually codified and systematized within your organization I, I think, and, and we, please, TC sorry. Khalil, you can both answer. Um, Do you want to jump in, TC, or Are you whatever first, works? I'll, I'll just cut out later. <laughs> okay, uh, I, I think we we have this thing. So we built this out early on, uh, and I think we were sort of this was the right move on our end, which was we we decided, you know, the way to get students to work with us and sort of uh, and sort of make it more long term for us because we realized if no matter how early they come in if they're year one students year two students year three students eventually they will graduate and you know they will uh, they, they will leave the team uh, so what we thought, what we figured was you know let's get uh, a supervisor in essence to sort of be the the head of the project so each team has uh, has a supervisor, what we call soups, uh, and they um, and they are the ones who sort of uh, bring in the team. They hold, they they are trained as well alongside the students, so they know what the students know, uh, and they are brought into every major meeting. We get discussions with them, and they sort of run the team in essence in the background. But uh, and depending on how, and they are given total freedom to to run the teams. And this is how we sort of ensure that you know the at the end of the day, even when the students sort of um, move on, we can then use, these supervisors can then help us sort of uh, bring in new members, sort of reinvigorate them. And because the supervisors already have this knowledge of how to teach and how to use these skills from from going to all these courses with us and sort of uh, learning how to uh, you know. To, to fact with the students, they, they can then use that and basically just re-educate their team and sort of get them up to speed in, in, in like in no time. We've already done this once where one of the, the supervisors moved universities and she uh, 
built up a new team and all we and see she sort of helped sort of you know uh create this new team in, in basically like a like a month and we were good to go right after that and from there on it's just been it's just been working for us i think that's because i think that's the way to sort of make it so far for us at least uh that's been the biggest advantage because we've got these great uh un- university lecturers who are just really supportive of all the content that we've been working on and sort of training the students and uh giving them the opportunities that they've been given to sort of uh learn and you know they 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 really helped us sort of uh, ensure that the team sort of stay alive in the long term yeah if i just jump in here i think you're definitely right uh richard and alan uh, working with universities because of the transient nature of students being students and there's uh there's always a uh, the debt problem that you face and that uh at the end of the day also you know how long will they stay motivated for uh they also have other internships and other opportunities coming along so we have to show our value add in terms of you know exposing them to uh useful courses that we uh come across as we circulate in the industry useful opportunities uh useful areas of exposure <clears throat> like you know uh we we credit them in the byline so that they have something to show for for their work unlike most interns uh elsewhere they may not get that um and definitely uh just to reiterate what Kalu said um the supervisors the lecturers are absolutely key to keeping it going and we found uh we, we we've had that problem with where one university couldn't um uh, sustain its commitment after a while and and had to drop out um but you know with with every door that closes another one open and then like kalu said the the lecturer went to another university and and formed uh the um fact checking team uh, to join us so that that that's helpful and um and at the end of the day i think uh the students themselves uh, need to see value in it um we need to uh be mindful of the fact that okay one one of the things about managing expectations is the fact that you know they might move on or they might become less interested and the supervisors are really the key point people uh who spot those things or identify the problems and you know and and help to regenerate and renew the teams um and where possible we try to keep the training up to scratch for the new team members either by organizing new courses or getting them to watch recordings of old courses uh so so that they see that value add that this uh organization and this collaboration has uh to to themselves now and in the future and of course students being students you know we we need we need their help and and um and they have to go online a lot for their research and all that so we uh, give them a data plan subsidy for their monthly uh internet usage uh so all that i think you know uh adds to the building blocks of trying to sustain this and and there's no doubt about it we're still learning as we go along Yeah, I just want to well, add one more thing, which is, uh, I mean, I agree with, obviously, agree with what TC is saying as well. Like, you know, the the other thing we have internally is we we value feedback quite a lot from the students as well, because they they help guide us on on what processes work for them. Because we obviously design things internally, or you know, to to help us editorially work. but we what we learned while we were working on this and this going back to some of the you know the question on failure was we 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 didn't realize you know things weren't working for them and we got them to sort of tell us like okay this is actually garbage could you change this 
to something else that we can that will be more user friendly for us when we submit our stories. So that was the first iteration of it. And recently, I think it was like last week, we just did another one where from feedback from the teams, we just found out that, oh, you know, that version is not working for us. Could you help us uh, in sort of by, by reworking it into this? It'll be a lot easier. And we change it again. And, and I feel like the feedback process is also very important in that, you know, they feel that they are part of the team and they have ownership of uh, the, the content that goes out. In the, the the work that they do, and I think I feel like in in the long term, like that that is just you know you feel you feel like you're worth the work that you're doing is worth it, and people are listening to it. I think that's what people really want at the end of the day. Yeah, I think well, I think you, know, you guys both have have had a lot of experience in this one. You've learned a lot uh, in terms of how to manage students. We you know we struggle with this just because figuring out how to add value to their careers at this point seems like a really, really hard thing. And it sounds like both of you are very mindful of that, which is really quite quite inspiring to see. Um, given where we are on the clock right now, I think it's probably best if we bring in some questions. Uh, we have some longtime listeners here, hint, hint, Karen Vera, who always have questions. Go for it. OK, um, I don't know if this is necessarily you know, uh, a solution to be asked, but just a general perspective, because, you know, fact checking is so necessary in today's landscape, especially when some some facts are so easily verifiable, yet um, most audiences stubbornly persist to believe in the false one. So I don't know what your perspective is on this phenomenon of fighting that um, perhaps unwinnable battle that people want to believe what's comfortable to them over something that's real and genuine? Uh, okay, um, I think it's important to, from okay, from our perspective, I think it's important to understand that uh, you can't win every battle when it comes to fact-checking. Uh, and you have to realize that. Again, it comes down to sort of understanding that, uh, you know, uh, how sort of is, in essence, the psychology of it. There is this rule which is you know don't don't try to sort of uh, cater to the extremes because you're never going to sort of win against them. Uh, this includes stuff like you know very serious religious beliefs and whatnot. Where if anything's entrenched in that, it's very difficult to sort of pull someone out of it. Uh, so what we try to do, and we re and we have we realize one thing, you know, all these people who are stuck with these uh, hardcore beliefs of of you know this you know this is must be true because it's coming from this or whatever. Uh, and we will not budge from our position regardless of the facts that are being given to us. They're in the minority. The majority are usually fence sitters and people who are already, you know, listening to and and, and believe in, in in sort of the facts that are being presented to them. So we're sort of our goal is not to our goal is sort of to cater to those people, the fence sitters who are there, who's trying who are trying to figure out should I jump to the to this side where everything is is, is sort of, you know obviously fake and whatnot and or should i go to this other side which sort of works on facts and uh it's it's a sort of balance we have to we, ha we have to keep and and you know be mindful of at the end of the day that uh we can't win everyone over uh so let's just focus on what we can do and work with that yeah and uh, who has I, sorry, yeah please tc jump in oh yeah if i can just add to this uh is the fact that 
I think there's a lot of uh, discussion around whether fact-checking is efficient, uh, is needed, is it a waste of time when people can be just already entrenched in their beliefs. So I like to draw this analogy where, you know, fact-checking is like first aid. Um, it's not the long-term solution that prevents you from getting hit again and getting injured again, but it can be pretty life-saving and critical at the point when it happens, right? Uh, so. Uh, the long-term solution, of course, we are talking about media and information literacy, which is one of the things we are working towards and providing, uh, you know, uh, workshops for. But, uh, but just because something is not the long-term solution, it's still important now, right? So we need to uh, work on it, and we need to be selective about how we do it. And uh, that's why we're not pumping out fact checks every other day or every even every week. Uh, three last month was. Uh, probably our best uh, output. Uh, but the point is, how do we convey uh, this fact-checking, right? The, the public communication side of fact-checking is very important. When we just slap somebody uh, with, a, with, with a fake, you know, just say that, you, you know, you, you dumbass, you shared something fake, right? That's usually not very helpful. I mean, um, it, it causes people to double down on the false beliefs and just choose to pick on those nuggets of truth that were in the falsehoods, right? And just focus on them and ignore the rest because we've embarrassed them. And a lot of times people share false information because they're trying to help, because they think that their information uh, could save their loved ones and whatever. They could be misguided, but the intention is, is, is that they are misinformed. And, uh, or rather, the intention is they're trying to help and they're misinformed. So uh, when we just uh, attack them or shame them for sharing something that's false, then that's counterproductive because then they either withdraw into a shell, which is not not helpful because you know they don't realize why they get it wrong and things like that. Uh, but the other thing is, you know, how do we then make it interesting, right? Falsehoods are very interesting because they use visual elements. They are they are they use very em emotive language and things like that. So for us, uh, our way of trying to also capture some eyeballs. Uh, more than the usual fact-checking uh, type of content is to create short videos or info infographics where we also try to make things compelling and uh, so that you can have a primer of it in that one minute. And then, um, uh, and then if you have time or if you're interested, you can jump into the full report with more details. So I think the, the method of public communications or fact-checking is something that people are still sort of, uh, 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 you know, finding out more about as, as we you know, encounter people responding in different ways, especially in different cultures. Um, yeah, it's an ongoing process. Much like everybody here, I love that first aid analogy. Uh, you know, emergency first aid uh, in terms of fact checking is always useful. And then you have to use it in consonance with a larger, you know, uh, longer term health program, you know, like, as you said, media literacy. That's awesome. Who has one last question for for these two amazing co-founders of Fact Check Lab before we wrap this up? Anybody? Bring it on. Um, hey, um, if if not, I have one question. Um, you know, if quickly you guys could tell us what is the next step for for Fact Check Lab. I know, Khalil, from our previous uh, conversations that you're thinking of ways to productize, ways to discover new audiences, um, how to do social media right. Um, as TC was saying, you know, um, falsehoods 
make for great content, you know, uh, because there's always a before and after uh, element. There's light and dark. There's good and bad, you know. Uh, what's next for Fact Check Lab? Um, right now, we've got a few things in the pipeline. Uh, we're sort of moving on a newsletter, as you know. Uh, where we've started our, and just yesterday, we started uh, our our new thread on Twitter and Instagram where we sort of have a tooltip Thursday, sort of helping people, sort of actionizing our sort of uh, uh, media literacy part to areas where people can actually start using these soft skills to to sort of fact check themselves. Uh, and, you know, it, it was it was interesting to watch people share and talk about it yesterday. Uh, and we're, not, we're also moving on uh, more content. We might be moving on to different platforms as well to, to, to sort of get more, uh, get a bigger viewer base. And, and all of this is, is sort of down to, uh, like legitimately, it's down to uh, the, the students we have. We have, this, we, we have this thing right now where we have a, a group of students who are now headlining all our social media and sort of uh, product platforms and sort of throwing us ideas and then building content with us. Uh, a lot of these, are, you know, designs and whatnot is coming from them. We've given them, we, we've, we've been very happy to give them autonomy to do whatever they want. And us just coming in editorially to sort of run stuff with, you know, they, we've given them the opportunity to sort of test their ideas and sort of see where that goes with them. We've also got um, an interesting sort of uh, university day with, uh, planning with the universities right now, so this is another sort of uh, value add for them. Where uh, we will be doing uh, sort of fact check lab university days with all the universities, having a sit down and sort of bringing in all the uh, the sort of uh, university lecturers, uh, the deans and uh, and whatnot, has come come over and you know listen to the stories of what these students have done because this this whole Thing is going to be about the students, not not fact check life. This is about how they've learned and sort of what we can do. Uh, we've also been we're also moving on on uh, research, which is I think very exciting because uh, the supervisors we have are, are amazing. Uh, they're all you know they they all they all are very interested in the research aspect of it. We're, we're, we've given we've had a sort of MOU in a sense where we've we've told them look. Of all the content that we've worked on, all the data we've collected from all the fact checks we have, uh, you have full access to everything that you want. So if you want to write research papers, because those are things, you know, that, that's part of their KPI, uh, you want to use it for research, you want to use it for publications and whatnot, you're free to do it. Just use it as you wish. And recently, uh, one of our, our um, supervisors, uh, Dr. Sabaria, who is also a, coincidentally a World Health Organization infodemic expert, uh, she she just started this whole thing where she's going uh, working on a few. She's she's just converting the content into uh, research to be published in international journals. So that's very exciting for us as well. Uh, we've got so we're moving into all these spaces and we're also uh, sort of uh, building up a, a platform for to um, sort of push our media literacy aspect as well because we feel that. This is probably the right time because people are from the reactions we're getting from uh, the content we're publishing, people are interested in it, and that you know, this is the right time to sort of get more people on board and sort of get them uh, learning, and that's sort of I guess the the bit of product that we're uh, 
that we're sort of going to try to monetize in the long term. Uh, yeah, it's, it's pretty, pretty exciting stuff happening at the moment, to be honest. I know. That sounds really quite quite amazing. Thank you so much for that. Uh, we're going to wrap this up now. Uh, Khalil and TC, thank you so much for all this knowledge and for spending your Friday morning with us. This is really helpful. Uh, thanks, everybody, for joining us today on Splice Lo-Fi. And uh, if you've missed this live, you'll find the recording as an episode in your favorite podcast app or on splicemedia.com. Hit subscribe as well. And also, uh, please tell us who you would like to hear on Splice Lo-Fi. Uh, we do this every Friday at 10 a.m. Singapore time. Uh, we'll catch you next time. 11 a.m. 11, Singapore. sorry. <laughs> Too much alcohol <laughs> in the morning. <laughs> I know, man. The day drinking has to stop. I know. Thank you, everybody. Terrible. Thank, Thank you, everyone. Have a Thanks great weekend. Thanks so much. Man. This is Splice.